Smart Cities, a better citizen experience. Hello, this is Ron Powell, and you're listening to Fast Forward on the World Transformed. This program presents conversations with thought leaders who are shaping our future through new ideas and new technologies. In this edition of Fast Forward, Franny Matthews, CEO of the Colorado Technology Association, joins us to discuss the many ways that smart city technologies are transforming transportation, the workplace, and the communities in which we live. How will smart cities impact the economy and quality of life of the communities in which they're deployed? And what is the human impact of these technologies? Let's explore. The future begins right now. Live to see it, friends, and welcome to the World Transformed. This program is your guide to an astounding future that lies ahead, a future that will be here sooner than you think. My name is Phil Bowermaster, and I'm pleased to welcome you to part one of a new ongoing series we're beginning today on smart cities. So what is a smart city? Why do we keep hearing about them? What do they mean now, and what are they going to mean in the future? Well, we're going to be exploring these issues with a wide variety of guests offering a wide variety of perspectives. And there's probably no one better to help us kick off this series than our guest today. Franny Matthews is the CEO of Colorado Technology Association. Prior to joining CTA, Franny spent 18 years with IBM, where she was the IBM Senior Location Executive for Denver. As a sales leader for the Western region, Franny was responsible for public sector, healthcare, and life sciences. Plus, she has significant leadership experience working with higher education, state and local government, healthcare, and telecommunications. Additionally, she has expertise in the areas of software as a service, cloud analytics, high-performance computing, mobile, social, and security solutions. As head of CTA, Franny was front and center at last week's Smart City Symposium, which I was fortunate enough to attend, and she joins us today to kick off our conversation about smart cities. Franny Matthews, welcome to Fast Forward on the World Transformed. Well, thank you, Phil. It is great having you with us, and why don't we start out, we're going to kind of back into smart cities. Let's talk a little about you and a little about CTA first. Tell us uh, a bit about your background and how you came to be running the Colorado Technology Association. Okay. Well, I had been on the board of Colorado Technology Association in my role at IBM, um, so I had exposure as a board member and also just a member, a member in general over the last couple decades, um, quite frankly. So um, CTA is, uh, we're celebrating our 25th anniversary this year. Um, and we, were, we, we started as a, as a trade organization supporting small software companies and over the years have expanded to really be a little more ubiquitous um, as it relates to technology um, in, our, in our state. Um, and so uh, I came to this um, because I was really, quite frankly, thinking of, of making a career pivot. Um, and I started thinking that way a couple years ago. And when the opportunity 
um, that there was a CEO position available, um, that was a three o'clock in the morning conversation with myself that all mm -hmm. the things that I wanted to do as my next career pivot um, really was encapsulated in this, um, in this position. Um, I'm very passionate about Colorado and Colorado thriving economically and um, in the in the coming decades and my whole being was just knows what is what we're going to see we will never see a slower rate of change than we have today and so it's really incumbent upon all of us um, as citizens in Colorado to really work toward creating a community where we're going to thrive and I feel that a tech-centric economy is a critical part of that. Absolutely. And I would say to all of our listeners in other states and around the world, that, that applies to you, too. It's uh, yeah, you bet. hardly just a Colorado thing. It's interesting, you know, when you, when you look back, I know when the Tech Center started in, in Denver, we have, a, we have an area called the Technological Center. I think there was a, a real emphasis on, from city planners and folks at that time to say, you know, we're not just the oil business. Now, when CTA was started, was it more of, more of that kind of thinking? We're, we're trying to expand what Denver is known for. We're trying to expand what Colorado is, is known for, what happens here, make us more of a, a technological hub, that kind of thinking? Well, I think um, when it first started, it was a little more practical and making sure that we had, um, there was a big focus on policy to make sure that small tech companies could thrive. And we've transformed into more of a, you know, a, a you know, overarching organization to um, say we want technology to thrive. Now, I love, you know, I when I came to um, Colorado uh, early career, the tech center was just, you know, starting. Right. And I loved the, the ecosystem that that whole idea brought. And I love the moniker of Denver Tech Center. We, we have definitely seen such a transformation in need and you know what we saw a couple decades ago for instance for talent is a great deal different than what we see uh, talent today and so we've transformed as the needs of the industry transform and if there's not a job that can keep you awake at, at 3 a.m you know this is the job that does that because when you're serving industry that is causing the disruption in general what you need to do is, you know, you have to consistently be on your game on what's the next thing that we need to be doing as an organization to be most effective to serve our members. Absolutely. Well, speaking of the next thing, let's talk a little smart cities. And I'm going to start with a question that I'm probably going to be asking of quite a few people in the coming weeks. But Franny, what is a smart city? Well, I'm going to give you the broadest definition possible. Okay. Uh, my definition is leveraging technology to drive a better citizen experience. And that is a pretty broad definition. You can get down into the weeds on, on you know, more, more definition. But uh, that seems to make sense to me. And so from a practical perspective, I look at it as leveraging resources in the most efficient way to help our communities better serve individuals and groups of individuals. To what extent is data a, a part of that, right? I, I would almost think that it's leveraging technology, but in, it, the smart, maybe that comes in with the fact that there's something data-driven 
about these uh, smart city initiatives? It, it's the cornerstone. It it really is where it's the it's the natural resource um, uh, from which you can make intelligent decisions and figure out how to deploy and redeploy resources based on what the data is telling you, along with really good critical thinking. Right. So if this still sounds vague to people listening, let's get into some examples. I think one of the best ways to talk about smart cities is to is to throw out a few examples. So can we talk about some of the big initiatives that are currently underway in Colorado around smart cities and what uh, what do they touch on? What What kinds of what aspects of city life of, of having your citizen experience improved are they uh, are they interfacing with? Yeah, I mean, there's um, there's some great examples, big and small. Um, one of my favorite examples is the work being done um, that's being led by the city and county of Denver to provide better services for individuals that are experiencing homelessness. I had a background years ago. IBM did uh, offered a grant for the city to look at how to more efficiently provide services. And I think that was kind of the cornerstone is as they move forward, and this was many years ago, uh, now they're really using technology to make sure that there's not overlapping services. And this is a metropolitan area discussion because it doesn't just fit into neat geographies and making sure that access, that, that individuals have access to services that are available. And that's, that's a very practical solution. We also, at our Smart City Symposium last week, had a speaker, Jerome Davis from Excel, talking about Excel Energies focused on getting to carbon neutral situation. Right. An example that I really love is the there was a collaboration between Excel Energy and NREL, one of our national labs in Colorado, where they worked together to use the data to figure out optimizing the timing of when to use clean energy sources. So, for instance, you've got huge wind turbines. How do you leverage that as well as how do you leverage the solar sourced energy and use it at the most efficient time so you don't squander any of it and how do you most efficiently store that energy right so that that is it's such a complex complex thing but that's a great um, example of collaboration between private and um, public partnerships and really moving the needle you know traffic metering is another one and again, that's a great example of needing to work at a regional level. We use our, you know, Colfax, which is really old Highway 40, right? Sure. Uh, that goes all the way across our, our metropolitan area. If we don't have coordinated traffic metering, we certainly are not moving people very efficiently. And so that's another example of, of using technology to create a better citizen experience. For the benefit of those unfamiliar with the idea, what does traffic metering mean exactly? We talk about monitoring how fast people go. We talk about uh, coordinating, syncing up the traffic lights. What is that exactly? Um, I would, you know, mostly syncing up 
traffic and and you might have the metering on getting people onto uh, you know like we have getting onto a highway the example that i just gave on you know having a street flow cleanly would be mostly synchronizing and having smart signals as opposed to pre determined it's going to this signal is going to move at this pace at this time every week day well our world doesn't work that way and so we do need to have you know situational based smarts in the technology one of the things i noticed in conversations i was having at the symposium last week is a kind of a parallel between different sets of requirements that drive these smart cities initiatives such that i think you might be able to use some of the same technologies at least underpinning technology, some of the infrastructure technologies to support different kinds of applications. You were talking about uh, smart services to the homeless, and I can only imagine that one good application for that might be just matching homeless people up with a shelter space. There's only so many beds in a given night, and there are so many homeless people, and, and if you're a person looking for some place to stay in a particular neighborhood, it would be great to know where the nearest place you could go and, and have shelter for the night. Well, it's very similar in some ways. I, I had another discussion about smart parking. And uh, these, these smart parking systems, one of the best things they can do is let you know where the nearest parking space is. So you can be driving along. You know where you need to go. You know where you are now. You know, you know where you need to be. And it's going to tell you what space has opened up and how close that's going to get you to where you want to be. Well, those are very different sounding problems. But ultimately, probably what's going on uh, underneath would be would be quite similar so in, in the end you kind of get this smart cities infrastructure to support multiple different applications i think you hit the nail on the head i think that there's a lot of transference from one area to the next it's really one of the reasons that i think that collaboration is so important and bringing people from that are trying to solve different problems together because there are ahas. And when one of those happens, it's really exciting. Um, you, you can see it with, um, you, you know, I had an example from Eric Drummond, who's Innovation Corridor, the CEO of Innovation Corridor, and he works a lot with the National Labs. And there was some discussion about how, how if you watch how a tree burns, you know, just the physics of it, that can be applied to, other things have stress on them, even when it comes to aviation. And so uh, those kinds of things, I always find it, that's like the, the uh, lucky charm that you're looking for. Because you can, when you see that happen and that transference is available, that's how you scale ideas. So there's a lot of different benefits that we're looking for from smart cities. So let's talk about those just a little bit. I've listed three here, and I know there are others, so we can, we can get into those as we go, but the three that I've found kind of across the board in discussions at the symposium, or if you just kind of Google smart cities, if you just kind of start researching them, is you hear a lot about optimized transportation, you hear a lot about energy efficiency, and you hear a lot about security. And I guess I've got kind of a two-part question. One is, is that the list, or do you have other items that you would, you would add to that? And the second is, are smart cities coming about because these are problems that need to be addressed, 
or are we looking for smart things to do with technology? And these happened to be the, the problems that we decided to solve them. You, you, do you see what I mean by that question? Is it? Yes, I do. It, it, are we solving something that the problem hasn't been, uh, <laughs> isn't necessarily there? Right. So on the first question on the benefits, I kind of slice it a little bit different and it, differently and it goes along the lines of how I define smart cities because I take it back to, you know, we're solving to making a better human experience. So I look at benefits like improved public safety, more efficient use of time, better convenience. I look at what are we doing to our environment and can we live more sustainably and along with that, are we driving to healthier outcomes? And so an example, you know, might be on that is, you know, when you look at transportation, uh, I think a, a, one of my favorite lines is we can't asphalt our way out of the problem that we have with traffic. Mm, and, right. That is a real problem that needs to be solved and it's going to be a multi-point solution. And so the other thing that what we're solving to, you know, why are we talking about smart cities now? If you look at the statistics, and this goes across the globe, there is a huge move to urbanization. Uh, we're certainly seeing it rapidly in Asia. But in the United States, there's an expectation that we will be uh, living in more condensed ways. So if we know that's going to happen, we know that life is a little bit different with that. So we should be thinking now how we set foundations up that we can live um, efficiently and, and pleasantly and well in what the new urban life is going to look like. It's a trend we've talked about quite frequently on this program. And it seems to be there's a number of things causing that to happen, causing that shift to cities to occur. But the big the, the big one, the overarching one is there's just not as much for people to do out in the country. There's not as much need for people economically in the country as there used to be or out in the rural areas. When when farming is so centralized and, and automated, and that was the kind of the main reason for, for a lot of those communities to exist, well, now, now there's so much more going on in cities. People, people want to live in cities. However, one of the uh, interesting discussions that I've been having uh, with a, a fellow attendee at the symposium last week, Flo Reitano, mm -hmm. is the idea of a smart region. And she talks about this idea of spreading the benefits of smart cities out to more outlying areas, to the, to, you know, obviously to the suburbs. We talk about that anyway within the context of smart cities, but maybe to the satellite communities and maybe out even into the, out into the rural areas, making it potentially as desirable to live out that way as it is to live as to live in the city. So is it possible that smart cities, in addition to making life better for people as they move into the cities, might also help to, to some extent, mitigate that move a little bit, maybe, maybe make the country a, a more desirable uh, place to live as well? Yeah, I think about this a lot because of the, the demographics of Colorado. We've got the front range, which is, is uh, pretty concentrated from a population perspective. And then we have uh, pockets of populations across the uh, across the state, and as you mentioned, a lot of them have been towns that have been agricultural based economies. And there is, you know, fast moving with technology to, in some respects, 
it may be eliminating jobs, but there are other jobs that are coming up. Looking at what that means, I actually am pretty optimistic that we're going to have urbanization, you know, happen and we'll be living in, in dense population areas, but I also think that there's an opportunity to thrive. What do you need? You need broadband. Yep. You need access to education. You need access to fast transport, not necessarily physically, but digitally. And we know that there's going to be a transformation in how we work and that there's going to be a lot of people doing, quote unquote, a gig, you know, gigs, and we'll have a gig economy. So if you want to live in the Western Slope, there are jobs on the Western Slope for employers there, but there's also jobs across the globe if you have connectivity. Right. And we've, we've done a pretty good job of getting broadband across our state as most of the United States has done, but it's in, there are, there are places that it's missing, certainly. And that last mile is a challenge. Right. Getting, getting the, getting it not just to a hub, but to an act, connecting it to an actual residence to where someone right. lives or, or, or office place of business, but, yeah. but getting it actual to the individual. Yes. I, I worked in telecom for many years and that was always our, that was always our challenge there. It's relatively inexpensive to lay out a trunk network, very expensive to lay out that last mile. That's where you actually encounter all your expense from a network standpoint, but also probably from a logistical standpoint, from a, from a data management standpoint, from a security standpoint, all those issues come into play when you're talking about not just the connecting the network, but, but putting those systems in place. That, that's right. And, you know, we have been talking about the technologies, but, you know, you also have to talk about the financial impacts. I mean, whether it's private sector or public sector, you've got to close the equation on the benefit. Right. And I look at this that, I think that we all need to be testing our assumptions on what the financial you know, uh, construct is. If an employer can get highly skilled workers in remote areas and that last mile is the gating factor, wouldn't there be a benefit to the employer to figure out how to make that happen? So I think, you know, the economic development in some of these areas is just we have to think differently. Absolutely. There's a whole new set of calculations to be made around probably both cost savings associated with putting some of these things in place. One of the things we talk about frequently on the show is datafication, how when you can you can add data to a problem and take other resources out. It's it's an amazing uh, almost paradoxical thing to make things happen. So suddenly there's this new economy of efficiency. You talked about efficiency and that opens up opportunities. But also if you've got people working, maybe entering a higher echelon of economic activity than they were in before, you're broadening your tax base as well, right? So it's, it's paying for itself that way too. It seems like there, there are multiple ways of getting to the, how do you pay for this thing or how does it pay for itself kind of uh, discussion? Yes, I completely agree. And I think just in general with the speed of change that we're going to be seeing in the coming decades, that the two things that I look at from an individual perspective is curiosity, I think is critically important. You've got to figure out where everything fits and you've got a, a sense of what the puzzle looks like and what your piece looks like. But to really keep that accurate, you've got to be curious. You've got to be 
researching. You've got to be talking to a lot of people and really figuring it out. Uh, and the other one is that when you have a foundation of assumptions, you really have to reassess them all the time. Right. Assumptions still valid in today's world. And it, you don't know that they're not if you're not exercising your curiosity, right? If you're, not, if you're not looking out there and seeing what has changed, what's available, how things could be different, right? That's the, that's right. Kind of the key. And it seems to me that one of the big discussions around smart cities, which is great, and it's great to hear people talking about these things, is just how could we do things differently than we have and have it be more energy efficient, provide greater public safety? I think something as simple as the, the streetlight, I think is just, it's, it's really fascinating when you think about it. One solution back in the day might have been, well, this part of town, nobody does anything at night and those streetlights are costing us a lot in electricity. We could save money, we'll just, we'll not run them, right? We'll, after 10 o'clock, we'll turn them off, right? There's, we're not gonna, we're not gonna need those streetlights. Well, in the age of the, of the smart street lamp, now you can, if there's someone there, it'll see it and it will come on, right? Or you can run them at a lower level and when there's actually activity going on, they can brighten. So you've got your public safety and your cost savings both kind of occurring at the same time, right? It's a, it's a nice little, not trade-off, it's actually more of a virtuous cycle where things are getting better by, by virtue of getting better. But this leads us to the discussion of the actual trade-offs. People are concerned about what's happening with their data. People are worried about being overly monitored, overly watched, that, that kind of thing. And I'd actually, in, in my outline for this show, I had written that Streetlight is watching you. I saw a demo at the Smart Cities uh, Symposium of streetlights that can gather all kinds, of, all kinds of information. Well, mostly, again, to provide great services. But here's a headline from today. I saw this today. Smart lamppost toppled to ground by Hong Kong demonstrators over Chinese surveillance fears. So what about the big brother is watching you aspect to all this? Is that a big concern or is, is that something that we can, that we have a handle on and we don't need to be overly concerned about? First of all, it's a very timely question. We just um, on Friday had Gary Shapiro, the CEO of the Consumer Technology Association speak at University of Denver. Mm. This was a big topic. I, and I think it's a very complicated topic. Privacy in the U.S., this is a part of our deep, cultural makeup and so we're seeing on the global stage things play out that are appalling to us as a society and I think that we all need to be thinking along those lines of what's what is right in the policy realm or in the privacy realm however and as you pointed out you've got benefit you know trade-offs I, I think it's situational on what these privacy issues, how we need to look at them. If we have data, for instance, if you had personal data from a, maybe a fitness tracker or you're, you've got a, a digital wallet, a, a distributed ledger type of digital wallet that gives your health information and you're in an accident, that type of data could save your life. You know, I might sign up for that. Right. I think that we kind of have taken taken a sledgehammer approach to data privacy that, quite frankly, doesn't really work. And I'm going to say something that's pretty controversial. Okay, let's uh, go. What do you got? Uh, uh, do you think HIPAA really protects our privacy? Hmm, interesting question. Now, if I've got 
all my other apps enabled with GPS and I'm going to healthcare providers, that certainly can be scraped and figure out, you know, you don't have to be 100% sure that somebody's got a condition. Just through that data, coupled with financial data, uh, there's a lot of personal medical inferences that could be made. So that's a great example of a sledgehammer. I don't know that I'm smart enough to know how to approach it, but I think that data needs to be, and privacy needs to be approached in a very thoughtful manner to be effective. Well, I think there are a couple of things that happened that really upset people. One is the feeling that they had no say in what was happening to their data, right? That, that they were left out of the, the decision. Ostensibly, yeah, we had all clicked, okay, we agree to the terms of, you know, the agreement terms or whatever, but that it had kind of been put beyond our control without us really knowing it. It was being used in ways that, that we didn't expect. I think there was a strong reaction to that. People had a very strong reaction to that. And I, I think the, the other side is going forward, people just want to, they, they want to know. We have this concept in the data warehousing world, well, in data management generally, you know, you talk about data lifecycle management. And I think that we need that concept applied to our own personal data. So if it's being used for our benefit, right, in, in a smart cities application, you would think it primarily is going to be used for our benefit, that we just, that we just have a good idea of who's getting it, what they're doing with it when our name is attached to it and when our name is not attached to it. Because that's the other big concern is I don't really care that people know about my behavior as long as they don't know it's me, right, in some ways. It's like... You're, right, that depersonalization. Yeah, yep. yeah. That, that, uh, if, you're, if you're just looking for demographic interesting information, yeah, okay, that's, that's fine. But if you're tracking me for it, then it feels a little uncomfortable. So I, I think there are practices around that that have to be put in place, but it comes from listening to what people are really concerned about versus uh, we went from probably indifference to maybe too worried about it, maybe concerned about parts of it that, that aren't as big a concern, or maybe they are, but we won't know until we kind of talk through it and think through it and, and understand what the right mix is. And it's very similar actually to the second one I, I, I would mention here as trade-offs, e-mobility, because we had a great conversation at the Smart City Symposium, what I called the great scooter debate last week. We've got an interesting situation going on in Denver where smart scooters have been introduced and they're wonderful and people love them and they also have caused a few problems. And there are some people concerned about safety and nuisance regarding, regarding these devices. So the conversation becomes, well, where do we run them? Are they on the sidewalk or on the street? Good conversation about that. How fast can they go? Who can have them? What time of the day or night are they available? And those things get ironed out and suddenly that new technology can become a part of the landscape integrated with what people are generally looking for their, for their lifestyle to be, it seems. And it seems that the use of our data is probably the same kind of set of concerns. Yeah, I think instead of focusing necessarily on privacy itself or data itself, I kind of look at it as what are the rules of engagement for the use of that data? Right. Is right. it okay for a social score? I mean, we're seeing that in other parts of the world. If you uh, walk across the street in, in the wrong place, your social score can go down, and that social score could affect what your score is on a dating app. Right. Or your ability to actually get 
into educational institutions. That, at its very core, hits my value system pretty hard the wrong way. Yes, that creeps me out big time. Yes, so that's, to me, been absent in the conversation. The other thing that this also could be somewhat controversial, although I don't think it should be, is personal responsibility. And I'll take scooters as an example. Scooters, you can look at it, it's got, they have small wheels, they have no protection, they go fast. Right. Um, as a human being, when we get on one, we should be thinking about how we protect ourselves. We don't drink and drive. Right. Traumatic brain injuries are a real bad thing. Why would you get on a scooter and worry about how your hair looked relative, relative to protecting your brain? Right. So you got me all riled up here. <laughs> Why would you worry about that? Also, you got to worry about the other people, right? The other That's people. exactly right. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. That, it's that basic responsibility you assume when you're walking down the street or riding a bicycle or driving a car, right? Yeah. I mean, those, are, those are all circumstances where other people's safety is dependent on your behavior, which it is all the time when you're out in public. It, yes. it, it actually is. So this is another flavor of that that we have to understand better. And I think that probably we're, we're coming to understand better. And again, it's so situational because what would be a safe environment in, um, you know, one city might not be the same safe environment in another. I will tell you that the city planners in Munich, Germany, it's a lot easier decision because they have these huge sidewalks that were put in many years ago. And, you know, on the right-hand side, that's where people ride their bikes. Right. If you've already got people used to bicycles, you're more than halfway there with scooters, it would seem to me. Yes. Yeah. But the the infrastructure is easier. In Denver, it's a hard problem to solve. Right. And we don't allow bikes on sidewalks in Denver, so that's a real difference, too. There's no history of that. So it it certainly created for, I thought it was a great conversation. And I, I felt really good about how frank everyone was about you know, what the safety concerns are, but also what kinds of things have to have to be be put in place. It seemed like a really good mix of, of perspectives. And I don't think, I really don't think scooters are going away. But I think that maybe the mad rush of enthusiasm with which we greeted them gets replaced by something else over time, you know, familiarity and also uh, m- maybe a more controlled approach to how they're used. Yes, that's what I liked. I mean, there's a common sense approach to do you do you have scooters available that will go 20 miles an hour right outside a stadium when a football game's breaking out? Right. Yeah. Maybe not a great idea. Yeah. Plus, you know, those people who pull those uh, bicycle rickshaws, it hurts their business to have the scooters. That's right. <laughs> we got to think about them. Okay. So let's look ahead a little bit. Let's talk about what's the future hold in store. Denver and uh, other cities in Colorado become smarter and smarter. What, is the, what does the future look like? Well, I think that we are certainly in beginning stages of this, Um, but technology is moving much more rapidly than we're able to consume it from a cultural perspective. We know that. I think the more that we do from a prototyping and getting things out, trying new things in an iterative way, and then getting to the point where we can scale it after we've gotten some level of perfection. That's how this is going to go similar to any, any way that we've seen innovation really scale in the past. And, you know, I mentioned at the Smart City Symposium, my favorite quote from Bill Gates, which says that we will overestimate 
the amount of change in the next two years and underestimate the amount of change in the next 10. It means that we need to be out trying new things and figuring out how we make all the puzzle pieces fit together. We've got a great asset kind of coming online with the open labs at Aero Electronics, which will really be an opportunity to do some of this design thinking around how to solve the problem and then do the integration work on how to bring the technologies together to provide a, a total solution and then how do you replicate it. It's all the more important to have those discussions w- once you realize that you don't know what the future is going to be. Yes, the, we have a known unknown. Right, right. People can glibly say, well, we don't know what the future is going to be, so what's the point in talking about it? It's like, no, that's, that's the stuff you really have to talk about. It's the future that you're not sure about that warrants those kinds of discussions. Well, I think it's been great fun talking about smart cities with you today, Franny. Is there anything else that I failed to ask or anything else you want to say on this subject that I didn't give you a chance to? I, I really like the twist that we had on, on talking about the, the non-technical aspects of this. Um, it really is incumbent on us as human beings and citizens to figure out how we leverage technology so it is our tool rather than us being you know, the recipients of it. Yeah, ultimately, it's a human problem. So, Phil, I think you covered pretty much everything. Oh, well, it's great talking with you about it. And thank you so much for being with us. Okay, well, thank you. And that is going to do it for this edition of Fast Forward on the World Transform. My thanks once again to Franny Matthews for being with us today. We hope you will continue to join us as we explore a future that is unfolding before us in unexpected ways and at a breathtaking pace. And until next time, live to see it. To learn more about the Colorado Technology Association, visit coloradotechnology.org. To learn more about this program, visit worldtransform.com. Thanks for listening.